episode two of Inside the Squad. It's 2021, February, and we are talking to Captain Joe Clyde. We discuss the detective division, and we discussed his amazing career all the way from college up to him, uh, his current role as captain of detectives. Uh, he goes over, you know, how, how the detectives respond to calls, uh, covers investigating shootings and homicides, and, and just gives a broad overview of those crimes. And um, just a great, great conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. Coffee. What's that? Still on the gas station coffee. I love the gas station coffee. I absolutely love it. What kind of coffee? So, just real quick, we have a guest today, a special guest, Captain Joe Clyde. Thank you. <laughs> we're we're going to have to we're going to have to warm him up into this. He, he right? Right. Is it, this is definitely right new now. territory yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah, so just get a little closer. Is your green closer. light on? Closer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is the green light on? It is. All right, you're good to go. On. Is this your first time on the podcast? Yes. yes Welcome. It is. And uh, yeah, I, I, you guys who drink gas station coffee, eh, not good. We'll see. Hey, I'll, I'll I'm, get not, you some. I'm not in that camp. Just so you know, don't include me in that camp. Circle K has great coffee. Does it? I, I'm just going to say that. Yeah, I think great they're coffee. all they're all bringing their their taking their coffee game to the next level so product much placement. appreciated are we going to get royal i just said they all i just said they all right yeah so uh appreciate you being here this morning sir the crew the whole crew's here except tom tom's still at home he's he's recovering he's recovering um so tom we're thinking about you but uh we're gonna have a good podcast today like i said captain joe clyde is here with us sir first off we just want to know about you Tell us about Captain Joe Clyde. How did you get to be Captain Joe Clyde? Well, I got hired in 98, so this makes uh, 20, um, do math real quick in my head, basically 23 years. Um, so uh, once I got hired, I, I went to Purdue University, graduated from Purdue. I went to Texas A&M for a minute um in graduate school I, w- I was actually there for two years really are you from where are you from i'm from frankfurt indiana really okay right. see this I, is I what try i love. not to mention that to anybody i'm glad you asked this is what i love talking to, to people because you just learn these new things did you know he went to texas a&m no I had did no you know he's from frankfurt i did not did you sir i knew he was from frankfurt i did not know he went to texas a&m so what I'm sorry. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt on some of these things, sir. So Texas A&M, why why did you choose? You actually physically went to the campus. Yes, I was a graduate student. I was actually in the. I didn't plan on talking about this. You guys have already <laughs> got me off track. That's the way he's going. This is what I love about it. Uh, no, I was in the PhD program for organic synthetic chemistry. I spent two years doing that. Um, at some point, I had a just a moment when i was like i do not want to be in a lab the rest of my life doing this now i in reality you you aren't you go on and you do other things you go into management no one ever stays in a lab for 30 years unless they just really want to 
but it was just not what it i i liked studying that i just didn't like grad school i didn't like the the you know i'm i I'm not like a real social person, but I didn't like sitting in a lab all the day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a lot more active and uh, wanted to go out and run, jump, and play, I guess. And it just wasn't – just didn't fit me. And I had always wanted to be a police officer since, you know, I was age 10. So I made a huge jump from that to start applying at the departments. Uh, ended up getting here uh, – hired here and – then i mean that was and i and i i can honestly say i like coming i I like coming to work today i i really love my job i'm very proud of this department everything it's done um you know and i get to see all the inner workings too but i i enjoy coming to work and i always have so you know while i guess things would have been a lot different had i stayed at texas a&m i still am happy with my decision so that's awesome now, what did you study at Purdue? Uh, I graduated from Purdue with a BS in straight chemistry. They don't you don't specialize until you go to grad school, so it's a BS in chemistry. Okay, all right. And so went to Texas A and M. When you decided, okay, this isn't for me, you started applying to agencies. Where did you apply to? Initially, I applied with the uh, state police and Indiana, Indiana. Oh, okay, and. I also uh, almost applied with the DEA in Texas, and then they told me what where I was going to move if I got hired, and it was all over the place. And I was uh, at that point, I was you know I'm probably not going to do that. So, uh, you know, then I I also applied with a couple other local agencies, and you know I'm not trying to you know this is 20 some years ago I didn't get hired and they flat told me no we're not hiring you because in two years you're just going to leave and go to the FBI we are not going to hire you <laughs> because they saw I, I mean I I don't want to say I was overeducated because I don't believe that at all and I'm you know I'm not is it, that was but they were straight with me why I didn't get hired and that actually come up in my interviews here and you know, I, you know, I, I think my answer. I remember being asked out on my captain's board, and I, I said, "Well, I don't care how educated you are. I'm, I'm not educated in police work, number one, and um, you know, you, you can't account for all the, you know, on this captain's board. How many years of experience do you guys have? I have none of that. I have to learn all that. I have to, I have to go through that to get that. And so I, I, they must have been halfway satisfied with the answer because I got hired. Nice." That's so, an awesome story. That is an awesome story. That's crazy. And look what, what look what those other agencies missed out on. Absolutely. <laughs> Twenty three years but, later, yep. they might be happy with Clyde their choice. I don't know. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Did you know that about them, Patty? What if I said yes? I, I just I'd wanted, be lying, though. You would no, be lying. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. So you get hired on in ninety eight. You said. You remember what day? What was the day? January the fifth. I got hired with uh, Deputy Chief Bishop. Uh, Tech McDaniel and Sergeant Rainey. The four of us got hired. Our four badge numbers are consistent. Best hiring group ever. Well, you're, you're oh. all still here. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, fighting words. Hey, but, you know, uh, first time on the show, he's launching grenades already. Well, okay. We'll let him have his let opinion. Me, let me That's fine. This. But they're the still, best, all still here. A group of four. You know, and the, uh, I don't know. Anyway. I got hired on. There was three of us, and I'm the only one left out of the three. 
there were four in my group, and there's three of us. Me and guard. You both are still here. Guard got hired on the same time. Joe, what was your original badge number? 295. And what are we hiring now? Are we in the 490s? Oh, yes. Yeah. Twice over. Yeah. So we'll see if this happens, but there's a chance all four of us could be here at 25 years. So you so you you said you're at 23. Right. Do you have a plan? Like, I mean, uh, I I plan on being here 25 years. Yes. Really? Yeah. Beyond or? Uh, that, I don't know. I think that's maybe up for a little bit of debate. But I got I got kids or one's he- in college, one's headed to college. Um, you know, I'm trying to pay bills. I guess I don't. I'm with you. stuff, and you know that's that's one reason. And I, I don't want to. If I retire, I'm probably. I, I will always stay in the area, but I might do a lot of traveling. And with my kids at the age they are, I don't want to do that yet. So is there any uh, any more chemistry in your future? Uh, potentially. There's a couple management positions out and about that they, they want more of a manager than a chemistry person, and I think that's maybe more what I'm suited for. You know, they asked me to go in the lab and do something. That's 25 years ago. I don't I'm going to blow something up. We can't do that. <laughs> so when I think chemistry, I instantly think like Bill Nye, the science guy, and making stuff come out of vial. Like you know, is that is that what you were doing? Uh, it was. It's a lot more boring than that. Those are pretty, pretty wild. That's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, com- you know, yeah. That's that's pretty sensationalized, and there's a few things. It, it, those are really cool because they get people interested in it. But but yeah, uh, heaters, Bunsen burners, Erlenmeyer flasks. Mixing stuff around. Listen to him. I, I love it. I, I, mad scientist I, over there. I did accidentally expose myself to a unknown dose of uranium in a lab once. <laughs> so dumbest. That's the dumbest thing I did. I also caught something on fire a couple times, but other than that, got through unscathed. Nice. All right. So to try to get back on track, I'm. I don't know. It's, it's all interesting to me. I just wasn't expecting that. But yeah, me either. So you got hired on a '98. How long were you on patrol? Ten years, and then went to detectives for five. And that that kind of is a strange thing. There's no other commanders that was uh, had no rank for 15 years and then got rank. I think there's actually one exception of someone who did that. But I spent a lot of time with no rank at all at the department 15 years yeah because i believe you were in detectives when i got hired on yeah and then so you got you were in detectives uh you're also on the SWAT team right and then you went from where'd you go from there uh when i got my promoted to sergeant i went to night shift uh red nights where uh lieutenant shear spent some time um, and then when I got lieutenant, they kept me on red nights. And then eventually, the, uh, then when I got captain, I went to basically days on, uh, for patrol. But, uh, you know, that's the, the one thing I, being a patrolman, then a detective, and then being on the SWAT team, you know, the other thing, I have this weird view of everything, seeing it from like three very different perspectives. So I think that's helpful when I become captain and, you know, I had to be the incident commander. Um, you know, the people in all the roles, the SWAT team commander, the, uh, the the detectives that show up, and then the patrol commanders. I had been in all those roles for 
incidents. And then when I become incident commander, I was like, well, I, I, I have an, I should at least have an idea of what everyone should do. Um, so that, I think that was real helpful for me to see the big picture. And I think that helps me now because I, I understand the entire process of a case from the very second someone calls 911 and to the, a guy going to prison for a few years for the crime he committed and ever step in between. I've been involved in the process and seen seen it. And hopefully, from my perspective, I can improve that process or help train people to make sure that process goes as smooth as it can and we get a conviction, which is our, you know, usually, a lot of times that's our goal. Sometimes that's not, but it, that, that's been really helpful for me. I've been very blessed to be in those spots, um, you know, to where I am today. That's awesome. That's an awesome journey. I know that, uh, you know, from my experience, you've, I don't think you were my commander on patrol, but you were my commander on the SWAT team. And uh, so I have been able to work with you in that capacity for several years. But, uh, you know, I know you're, you're definitely a good leader that we all can look up to. Um, the reason we brought you in today is because of the position you're in today as captain of detectives. And I just wanted to talk about, you know, operations, maybe some investigations that are going on. And, uh, yeah, just bring insight on how you guys operate. I know, um, first off, how many detectives do we have? Currently, we have 15. I mean, we have open spots that, you know, we're having difficulty filling just because of the, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to hire for the department. So we have a lot of open spots, but... Um, Right now, 15 people were actively working cases. 15 detectives, and then, but within those, we have two? Two units or sections. We have the, the criminal side, which um, we, we kind of divided up into, that, that's more of the adult side, and then we have the juvenile side. It doesn't mean they go after juveniles to arrest them. It means they, if you're a victim and you're a juvenile, or if you're a perpetrator and you're a juvenile, that's the side that's going to look into it. But like 80 to 90 percent of the juvenile sections crimes are crimes where a child has been a victim okay the, All right. the, and then the criminal side is more like rape robbery homicide burglary did you know that alan i knew we had two sides i didn't know it was 80 percent victim on the juvenile side yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that either i figured they'd be dealing a lot more with our school resource officer and the crimes that is that something you guys we sometimes our juvenile victims are identified at the school that's when we work with the school resource officer the uh criminal behavior at the school school resource officers do a great job of taking care of it on site and that's probably best case scenario now if they commit a serious crime I think everyone's going to get involved. Yeah. But otherwise, school resource officers do a, you know, like, like I said, they do a fantastic job of daily dealing with the, what I would call minor issues at, at the schools. So, you know, there's the two sides, and, and what we kind of wanted to focus on today was, um, I guess, the, the adult criminal side. What, uh, how many detectives are on that side? Is it split in half, or well, I guess you can't really split 15 and a half, but is there eight nine how many detectives are on the criminal side there are six and depending on who you ask we have one person that's assigned there but they actually work as a csi at the h uh, htcu which is the high-tech crime unit 
Now, while they do a lot of CSI stuff for us, the majority of it's detective or tech Paul Huff, uh, the majority of his time spent at the HTCU doing digital forensics on computers and cell phones. Um, we're actually in the process looking to the future to get more people involved in that because every investigation we have anymore involves social media, cell phones, computers. Some type and, of electronic. Yeah, there, and it's that's only going to get uh, a lot. Well, it's only going to increase. Well, we were we were discussing the other day that a lot of your investigations, uh, it's been helpful with the um, oh the exterior cameras. You know the different the ring or the, the ring or um, oh the doorbell cameras and all that. Those have been very helpful in the inve- investigations. Is that fair to say? I, I would say of our last uh, for over the last year, all of our shootings and homicides that we've been able to work uh, ring doorbells were probably involved in ninety percent, and other and surveillance cameras. I mean that's a big part of the investigative tool anymore, and you have to have someone who has the ability to you know upload that information sometimes people can do it themselves we have uh you know an app where we can do that uh with uh into evidence.com but a lot of times you know we're taking uh different types of media and trying to store it and it's, it's you know it's a job for property and evidence for the htcu for detectives it's it can get a little bit uh complicated yeah absolutely so just to kind of touch on that a little bit because i think a lot of people um have a misconception about what it means to to kind of process digital evidence and how long that takes and uh, i think you know you and i especially know that's an extremely lengthy process it's very tedious and time consuming and you know a lot of people think that hey we just solve that crime quickly you have a phone you have a computer you have all that can you talk a little bit about you know exactly how exhaustive that process is yeah well the first step you know is where someone identifies some piece of surveillance equipment or digital evidence um it's not like we just get it online look at it and use it because if we if we use that as evidence ever it has to make its way into the courtroom so from the very get-go you have the chain of custody issue so we want to grab the original footage or evidence off of the device that either captured it or recorded it in some way. Um, and that's where the HTCU is real important. Because if we just grab something from somebody who took a video of video or something like that, getting it to court is a much more difficult job. So in the, the big picture, you can't even use that as evidence potentially. So you got to collect it right. And collecting it right is uh, lengthy. So that's why we got guys that uh, that's their job. I mean, that's their, you know, that's what they've gone to training for. Um, and that, in the pro, and the other thing, processing the evidence, um, a lot of times, you know, we have to hook the device, whatever it is, up to a, a machine or download this or that. And, you know, 10 years ago, uh, maybe you had a few megabytes on your cell phone. Right now, your cell phones are, you know, some 500 gigabytes of terror. It, it, it's ridiculous the size of the information that people carry around with them. I mean, people are carrying around a, a cell phone that has more electronics and uh, computing power than, the, you know, the first rocket sent to the moon. So, I mean, it's it, 
all that is what I'm saying is just what makes it a lengthy process to process, to go through digital evidence. Joe, can you take a minute to explain chain of custody for our civilians? Yes. Uh, so we have to, when you get, when it goes to court, you have to be able to tell the judge, the jury, uh, where you found it, and everyone who touched it in between uh, when it was found to that day in court. And if if during that, so you have the officer who finds it, maybe he tells an evidence tech. That evidence tech shows up and collects it and puts it on the power or whatever he does to maintain, like let's say it's a cell phone. Then you have HTCU come get it, and they take it over to their lab, and they extract the data, and then we take the phone, put it back into evidence, and then the day of uh, court, you know, the cell phone maybe goes to the courtroom and we talk about it. And if the defense attorney, a good defense attorney may look at every one of those people that touched a device, if they didn't document when they got it, what they did with it, and where they put it, and it had to be secure the entire time, we lost our chain of custody. So if anything in that entire chain is ever broken, that will never see the courtroom. And because that's such a difficult process, a lot of times that's where deter- you know attorneys, if they don't have a, any case at all, they'll attack the chain of custody. So we train that to officers. We try to explain that to people. Um, you know, people get mad when we take their phones, but it, that's one of the reasons we have to do that. Right, and so that's to protect the evidence so it can't be tampered with. Right, and it, you know, we have to... You know, the last thing you want to do is be accused of planting evidence, you know, not maintaining it properly, or you didn't collect it right, or, you, you know, you took it the wrong way, or you didn't examine it right. You know, that's why you documented all of that. I will give a little shout out there to our property and evidence personnel. They do a tremendous job of staying organized and, and doing everything that they need to do to, uh, you know, maintain the chain of custody and, and make sure that it's properly packaged and gets to where it needs to go. They, they do, they do a great job down there. And it's, yeah, you know, if we don't have the evidence, we don't have a case. Right. And so literally take hundreds and probably thousands in some cases of phones a year. And every time they get properly documented, you know, for that chain of custody and property and evidence, they have to, that, you know, that's what they deal with. It's, it's a tremendous, uh, you know, undertaking. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff down there. We we we're running out of room a little bit. Well, I just said we need to talk to some property and evidence people on this podcast. Absolutely, we'll bring them up there. Yeah. I know their boss. We can get them up here. <laughs> well, so, so oh, go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, so so just kind of going, you know, and I, I don't want to uh, comment or speak for our our prosecuting attorney and the prosecutor's office in general for Tippecanoe County, but that's kind of led to. Uh, some other initiatives that are out there now, uh, which may result in regional um, high-tech crime units that are going to be uh, set up to be able to facilitate a lot of the backlog that that a lot of this forensic evidence goes through as far as the state police lab and other labs. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we're, we're real fortunate to have the HTCU here uh, partnered with Purdue and the other departments, because uh, if you're in a another like one of our neighboring sheriff's departments and you have a case that involves digital evidence you're going to have your only option is to reach out to maybe our hdcu or the state lab because they don't have their own own people to do this 
It's either do it themselves, which most of them can't because it takes specialized training, or send it to the state police. And when everyone's sending all their stuff to the state police, you know, the backlog for a cell phone, months. Backlog for a computer being forensically examined, maybe years. You know, I don't want to speak for the state police. I just know they, they get mountains of stuff to go through. And when we have a homicide, you know, the detectives are like, we need this tomorrow or, you know, go download the phone evidence right now so we can look at it. We have that luxury. A lot of people don't. So. What do you think the I, – I never even considered that. You know, again, another awesome thing about our area, the, the amount of resources we have. What? Who else has this luxury, I guess, you, you know, lack of a better word, around the state? I mean, is there – is it is it a college thing? Is it? It's obviously money, right? Yeah. It. This is all high dollar equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do we have we, an idea we, of how many other agencies have these capabilities? Yeah, Indianapolis has one. Um, St. Joe County, I believe, has one. They they uh, partnered with a, a college, up there. We have one. I think, in the south of Indiana, there's a couple. Um, the the feds have one in Chicago, but their waiting list is much longer than anybody's. I'm sure. And, um, but I mean, for an entire state that has a pretty big population, you know, a handful. Yeah, a handful. And that's why there's this initiative to, you know, at the state level to try to fund more uh, high tech crime units or whatever they want to call them. Uh, but yeah, it's just because, you know, the future is phones and digital evidence. Yeah. And that you know, and that's something I, I think to, to credit uh, law enforcement leaders in our community. Many years ago, they, they saw that, they identified that, and and there were actions that were taken early on. And you take a look at an agency like ours with the, you know 140 48 sworn, and try to compare that to you know a Chicago or an LA or Detroit that have their own in-house labs and ability to process those those pieces of evidence, and they've had them for decades. Right, because of the size of those agencies, you know, when we talk about the change of this profession and and how agencies are, are have adapted and what they're looking at as far as the future, you know, we you know that's that's wasn't something that we had or was thinking about uh, twenty years ago when I was hired. So it, you know, it's pretty to be on the cutting edge, to be kind of in the forefront of getting that to communities which smaller police departments. That's pretty progressive. Yeah, we, we had some people years ago and throughout the last decade that really made some decisions that put us put us in a, you know, we can always get more and do better, but we're better than, I mean, our situation is better than pretty much everybody, you know, unless you have your own lab, which and there are very few like we talked about. So, yeah, we, we're, it is nice to have that. It, it is a luxury when you're investigating um, crimes when you're, you know, especially we've had a few real serious crimes like uh, kidnapping when it, it, it literally that information is uh, you want it as fast as you could possibly get it for obvious reasons. So a couple things there. One, 20 years ago, I could not help but think of the old Zach Morris phone. If people remember that reference, right? The big old block thing. I just had to throw it out there. That's the phone that yeah, that's when nice. You got. <laughs> that was the thing. Remember Zach Morris? Rick Saved home. by the bell. So uh, I love you. You know I love you. 
So I wanted to back up and go to and kind of segue. And uh, you were you were discussing um, the the doorbells, you know, the cameras. They were helping um, investigate or help you know build cases for shootings and homicides. Uh, you know, we have had a handful of shootings here at the beginning of this year. You know, when 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 crimes like that that involve more follow follow up right that goes to detectives to so to a quick glimpse you know patrol initial response they handle the initial right and uh if they if a crime needs follow up or a case needs follow up especially uh, a violent crime it goes to detectives right that's kind of the short and sweet of it yes so you guys come in we we have like i said we've had a, a handful of those shootings just broadly explain, you know, what are we doing in response to those? Well, we, we do a number of things. Uh, once again, patrol, they're always the first people on the scene, lock the scene down. If there's any CSI type, uh, you know, evidence that we need to collect, we do that. Um, if there are witnesses, suspects, victims uh, there to scene, and we have a lot of people to interview, or even one, who's willing to talk to us and help us out, you know, that's when detectives make the scene. Um, And, you know, we try to get as much information as possible in the first, you know, hours. Um, Obviously when, you know, it doesn't help to look at this. You have a crime like that. If you look at that crime two or three days later, it, you know, uh, digital evidence is is gone. Uh, uh, Physical evidence is gone. Uh, you know, if there's any shell casings or something like that, they've been, if we didn't collect them then, they'd be gone by the time. So everything flees. All the evidence goes away. So your best bet, always, go to the scene, collect everything, freeze the scene. You know, when I say freeze, I mean put put a... Make sure nobody comes table. in or out. Make sure people don't carry things off. And uh, you do that both physically and anymore uh, with digital evidence. Um, and then you go from there. So you've collected everything you can in that first uh, first couple hours. You talk to everyone you can, and then if you develop a suspect, you try to get them in custody as fast as they can because most likely they're fleeing or hiding. And you give them a couple. You give someone a couple days to go flee and hide. They, their chances are better than if you give them an hour. So uh, you know everything is time sensitive, and that's you know how we try to approach all aggravated batteries or shootings or you know something in that neighborhood you said it best when we were discussing it the other day that you know when these crimes happen we we investigate it to the fullest of our ability and we throw all the resources we have at it and so like you said time is of the essence so you have patrol show up they're locking down the scene they're making sure nobody comes in and out you know processing stuff we'll get csi there um it seems like uh, the handful that have occurred usually at night uh, detectives, for the most part, are working, you know, day shift-ish hours. Is that fair to say? Yes. Uh, and you said, well, there's six of them. So, th- but they're getting called in, right? Right. They're coming in at all hours to to make sure that you know we can investigate this as to the best of our ability and as quickly as possible. I guess. Can you kind of discuss, you know, that process? Who's coming in? Who who you know who's getting that phone call? Well, we have an on-call schedule and. Uh, so everyone knows when they're going to be on call, um, but that's a single detective. When we have a, a real serious crime where we have to call in everybody, 
you know, if you're a detective, you're on call. Unless you're, you know, if you're vacationing out of state or something like that, that's that's an exception. You got something very important in your life going on. You can't make it. You can't make it. But otherwise, uh, if you're a detective, it's kind of 24/7, 365 for the big crimes. Um, because when you have a big crime, there's just so much to do. You need multiple people coming in. So. Uh, I think our detective rotation, you know, with 15 people, you're on call roughly twice a month. But like I said, for the big things, you're on call all the time. Yeah. And they're, but bottom line is, is they're coming out. For those crimes, uh, they're coming out, and, and we're getting that ball rolling immediately as far as investigating those crimes. Um, who else? So, again, you know, obviously we're trying to, to locate that suspect. Um who from what we're seeing you know obviously we can't talk about individual cases but who's who's involved in in the crimes that we're seeing as of recently as far as shootings are concerned i mean is it multiple different people do we believe it's maybe the same subjects with multiple different incidents i mean can you discuss that i I would say you you talk about the vast majority of all shootings are either a and, and this goes for homicides too, but if, especially we'll talk about shootings, a violent domestic relationship or uh, younger people involved in drugs and violence. And those are the categories. If you're outside of those categories, you're probably not directly involved in a shooting. Now, the the, the public, uh, you know, I, I guess the, the, the concern for the public is, if you live next door to one of these places, you know, you, that's, that's a, that's a scary place to be. We owe, you know, we, we, you know, we owe it to anyone to go out and investigate, um, whether you're, you know, that, and that's the problem. One day you're a victim. If you're involved in these things, the next day you may be retaliating. That's what the evidence shows. Uh, one day you're the, you're the person who's, uh, committing a violent act. And then the next day you're the victim. So that that's and it's usually younger people. Um, you don't have a lot of forty year old guys out there shooting each other because they're they're mad at each other. It's it's younger kids, um, sometimes juveniles, and that's our experience. Um, so you know there, there's three things that go hand in hand. It's guns, drugs, violence. If you find two of those things, you'll always find a third. Is it is it also fair to say that in those types of situations you tend to have uh, uncooperative victims at times? Yes, and that's that's kind of what I'm talking about because the victims of one day probably are victims because they had and, and, and I'm sure not this is not every case I'm talking about certain cases but the victims of one day uh, the day before they were they were the aggressors or they were the active offender and but the next day they're the victim so. You get people who are flipping between being a victim and a suspect. They don't necessarily, it's not in their best interest, they think, to talk to the police and help. They want to, you know, tomorrow I will retaliate against someone who victimized me today. And that mentality, um, you know, that's why you want to be bring up the community. You need the community's help to investigate things like this because the people directly involved, they may not be our best witnesses so it's fair to say that has a a negative impact on the solvability part of the of the case and a successful conviction yes that's very true um 
you, you know, if uh, that that the big stat out there, and they've made TV shows off this to the first 48, that stat means if you don't develop a named suspect in a crime within the first 48 hours of it occurring, the chances of you solving it are, are in the minority or less than 50%. So there's a couple things there. One, um, so just to clarify, you know, the, the shootings that we have seen, is it fair to say that they're being done by a very small percentage of people? It's not a different uh, suspect. We'll call it each, each time, right? It's, Right. One or two suspects doing multiple different crimes. Is that fair to say? That is more than fair to say. In fact, we we mirror studies that have been done, the national average on that. Uh, Boston has done studies. Cincinnati has done studies. It's uh, If you have all your active offenders, um, and you, you know, I don't know how many people that would be, but 20% of them commit 80% of the crimes. And then if you, if you go down to 1%, commits 50% of the crimes. So if you have all your active offenders out there, the people who are potentially dangerous or are committing com- crimes, you take that 1% and half of the violent crimes being committed by them. So then my next thing is is that we are, even, even after that first 48 and, and the, the circumstances, the cases that we have, I mean, we're we're actively investigating those. Is that fair to say? I mean, we're throwing all the resources we have at it. We track, we track everything we can. We track, obviously, people, but cars, locations, uh, you know, patterns, and you will see that, you know, one day, one day's victim is another day's suspect in a lot of these cases. So we are dealing with a small percentage of people who engage in this kind of behavior that kind of endangers the community. Absolutely. So that's why, we, you know, that's why there's all these different initiatives, both federally and, and in state level of, you know, they, they, they term this, I think if you study this in a class or look at research, they term this, you know, I think one is pulling levers or, or uh, the repeat offender projects and stuff like that, just trying to deter crime and you know places have been very successful when they focus on you know when people identify themselves as a problem person and they're involved in multiple shootings that's who we need to focus on and when we do that um we deter more shootings even if our our focus isn't necessarily jailing them maybe it's uh talking to a parent maybe it's talking to a neighborhood maybe they're on probation maybe it's a corrections officer we have some kind of influence on them to basically settle them down that that's how we you can deter crime especially violent crime so there's two things there a we're trying to deter the activity from happening again or crimes happening again but we're also building that case to hold them accountable for the crimes they did commit absolutely both of them are great deterrents so and with the help of that sorry um you know you talked about community uh you know you have the again the exterior cameras on houses but you know we really truly rely on those in the community they are our eyes and ears i say this all the time you know we rely on that uh, we just saw recently you know eyes and ears help us uh solve crimes and again hold people accountable for their actions and, and make arrests yeah that, that's why our relationship with the community it, you know that's the base of the pyramid right there if the community doesn't trust the police they don't trust detectives they don't want to talk to them we're, we're not ever going to get anywhere but if if people have a level of respect and uh and 
they believe what the police are doing. They believe in the community. Um, you know, I, I think I think it all comes down to I think our mission statement says mutual trust, and that's a great term. If we mutually trust each other, that's we, we can go investigate things and do you know do all kinds of uh, you know crime deterrence, make the entire community better. You know, and that helps. That's just not about crime. I mean, when crime goes down, other things go up. Like, uh, you know, you have a thriving community with economics, uh, you know, safety. People are more engaged. This helps businesses. I mean, it, it's it's all one big symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Were you going to say something, Cap? No. Uh, well, I was just going to maybe touch on, you know, when you talk about dedication of resources when it comes to working these types of cases, you know, several years ago we added a division at the Lafayette Police Department and operations. And, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, how that assisted and how that's impacted your division with regards to resources and kind of a more dedicated approach to identifying specific problems and dealing with those cases. Yeah, well, the operations division uh, basically is tries to tie in all the intelligence that we have and review cases from both detectives, patrol, uh, the, the drug task force, uh, street crimes units, uh, criminal and addiction units. We tip. Uh, we tip. Uh, anything coming in on next door. Uh, you know, we. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving out a bunch of things that they monitor. The idea is, you know, we see repeat information about the same people once again that's who you need to focus on because you know we'll put out pictures to the public uh, you know we have a let's say we have multiple burglaries and one person on one burglary somehow identifies that person that can basically turn into solving 10 20 30 cases of burglary and putting a stop to the ongoing problem so the operations division, I mean, their job is literally to kind of be the, the brains at the department um, looking at everything and pulling everything together and kind of making some decisions of, you know, who are we going to go address? Who do we need? You know, what do we need to do here? How, how can we deter crime? Who do we need to contact? Um, and they, they have connections with, you know, uh, the prosecutor, community corrections, you know, and they're reaching out to people doing things like that. So it's a... You know, while they're not necessarily assigned cases, it's it's their kind of their job to uh, bring it all together, and I mean that's why they're I mean, they're really busy. Yeah, I mean they're reviewing all the cases. Yeah, and it's our job to in other divisions if we see something, point it out to them and say, hey, is this you know do you have any further on this from any other your information that you have? So, you know, we see. We, we think we maybe have a pattern of a couple burglaries. We, we would send that to uh, that division and ask them, hey, look into this. What, what else we got going on with these locations? You know, can you tie this into anything else? Help us with this investigation. I think we – you're being really quiet over there. Are you just soaking it all in? I'm, soaking, I'm soaking it all in, but, I, I mean, I do have something to add to that because the, the operations division, I think what has really helped LPD grow um, – here within the last few years is that opened up communication channels between divisions um and when something serious happens it's all four divisions that are coming in typically to handle these situations and when we get 
our command center and post up and running and you've got all four of those divisions working together it's super impressive uh, we've we've done it a handful of times when i was uh the patrol commander on a shift and i mean i'm, I'm talking the amount of resources that we, we will dump into certain incidents is impressive i mean because that that that's our ultimate goal is we're wanting to deter these types of crimes and types of violent crimes i mean we're we're hunting down people that are cracking rounds off. You know what I mean? And some of the some of the bigger cities, maybe in some of the smaller cities, they're not putting those resources into that type of incident. And I think that's really where LPD is. Is we, we want to be that that department that's going to run this stuff into the ground, and we're going to track these people down, and we're going to hold them accountable for their actions to protect our city. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. You know, and kind of tying back into you know Captain Clyde and, and detectives. You know, historically, and our agency was no different. I think if you take a look at a lot of agencies throughout the country, they're probably still stuck there where, you know, developing patterns and identifying uh, multiple groups of subjects, that always fell upon the detective division to, to gather that intelligence, develop those patterns. And now you have another division that brings resources to bear that's almost entirely intelligence-based, and that gets fed in. And so... With, exo- with with investigations for detectives that have evolved into be much more complex than they ever used to be, uh, that requires more time and energy for your division to really focus and, and on those cases. And now you've got another division that's supplying data to you that, I mean, can you measure that? Is it, is I, it, I don't know how you measure it. That's a tough yeah. one to measure. Yeah, it is. But, no, you're absolutely right because when a detective gets assigned a case – He's interested in his case. He isn't interested in patterns and other people until he realizes, hey, this case might be uh, tied to another case. And that now, you know, so their vision is real close. But, you know, you need that operations vision who's looking, yeah, that detective has one case, but what else do we got? And that's really taken that load of trying to identify uh, motives and patterns away from detectives to or just another group of people who really look for it so with the oh, go ahead, i'm sorry that ties back into the community too with reporting crime right so the community reports crime and then it goes into that where we're, we're mapping it we're seeing where it's going and some of those people that haven't reported in the past or we've got those new avenues where people can report online uh, we tips stuff like that that's really helping us out because we're able to maybe solve some of those crimes that before we couldn't we didn't see them and now we got now we got visual maps and everything and and analysts that are are crunching the data and they're they're showing us things that you know it's pretty awesome and it's new to us so yeah i I think we've made a big effort to have the community be able to quickly get us information through we tip a couple other things we have next door uh you know if someone sees something and they take a picture or just identify you know they just see something suspicious they have a lot of ways of contacting this and that goes directly at, I, I don't want people to think that well it goes in some pile that of of uh, paperwork it it goes directly to people who review that type of thing yeah and that, that was what was important to me doing this podcast is you know sometimes these cases take time 
right? And it isn't just going, like you said, it isn't just information going on a desk or a case just sitting on a desk and, and we're not doing anything with it. We want to solve these crimes just as much as the community wants us to. And sometimes it takes time, right? Building the, building the case or finding that right person that has information or that's willing to talk to us. Um, so, you know, again, that was, that was what was really important to me as far as just putting it out there that, you know, we care just as much as the public does. We need their help. We want their help. And, um, we are actively investigating the shootings, uh, obviously putting all the resources like Lieutenant Scheer said, uh, and then homicides as well. Right. I mean, we want to, we want to hold those, uh, accountable for their actions uh and deter it from happening again so just to just to touch on that um we had the we had a few homicides that happened you know within a short time frame uh and it just i'm going to use the word it was coincidence that it was all within uh, close proximity can you just speak on homicides in general and, and how we approach those and and what you know about homicides yeah that's i mean that's we talked about pouring all our resources into uh an investigation obviously homicides is the one where we do that i mean we that's the you know one of the worst crimes there are uh, and that has a direct you know that's when people are looking at cities you know what's the homicide rate you know that's 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 important to everybody uh, especially if it's in your neighborhood you know it's important to me and you know my neighborhood what the the violent crime is like so we there you know that's where we're, there's no stops we pull it you know we we do everything we can on those cases um i'll just say again i won't comment on any specific cases but if you're not involved in uh like a the drug trade uh weapons or in a violent domestic relationship um the chances of you being directly involved in a homicide it's just extremely low. Um, however, like well, like we talked, if it's your neighbor, you know that's if not necessarily homicides, but the people who are uncooperative with this, you know, those are people at the scene. I guarantee you, all their neighbors they want to be cooperative with the police. Maybe they don't have the opportunity. Maybe they're a little bit hesitant for whatever reason, but. There's, there's only a few people that want to be uncooperative with the police. Everyone else, they want crime down. And that's the same way with homicides. When something happens in a neighborhood, people want to help us. People give us ring uh, surveillance like we talked about. People will go out of their way to remember any vehicle person that walked in the neighborhood because everyone wants that solved. And that's, that's really what we need. And we have been very successful on uh, arresting and prosecuting people involved in homicides and it is directly related to the community uh, not putting up with it and they want to they want us to solve it and they're going to help us solve it and and the homicides also uh, a majority like most the involved parties they know each other right there's uh like i said it's extremely rare anywhere not just Lafayette, that a stranger commits a homicide to someone that they've never had contact with. Yes, it happens, and, you know, it gets sensationalized in the media, and it's the top story because it's so rare, but, you know, it it doesn't change the fact that very rare. 
and and being a detective, you you see the cases coming in, you see where they're occurring, um, you know what crimes are occurring, you know, and you keep you, you said it a handful of times, you know, as long as you're not involved in those those particular uh, activities, your behavior, yeah, risky behavior, uh, you're probably not probably not going to be a victim of a crime. So with that being said, you know, and I tell people all the time, there's no neighborhood in Lafayette that is unsafe. I mean, all the, all the neighborhoods in Lafayette are safe, safe places to go, go about your life, go about your business, uh, live life. But if you see something, call us, let us know, right? That's, that's where we step in and, and, you know, we'll investigate. But other than that, as long as you're, you know, we'll use, yeah, we're not involved in criminal activity. You, you probably don't have anything to worry about. So I, I, I really just wanted to end, I guess, on that note that, you know lafayette is a great place and we are growing and unfortunately with good comes some bad right but uh if we work together you know we can really deter um criminal activity from occurring and and if it does happen we'll come together and we'll we'll hold those accountable for those actions so um patty you've been quiet over there do you have any questions comments um no i mean we're talking about violent crime here. So, you know, everybody, I think, needs to understand, uh, and it, it bears emphasizing, if you're not a bad person, then bad things probably won't happen to you, with the exception of credit card fraud and identity theft, which, you know, those hit everybody. But, you know, just uh, choose your friends wisely, I which suppose. We'll touch on that, actually, real quick, just a little quick uh I'm guessing if I think it's already happened in other states, we're seeing the scams from um, oh the COVID relief and pandemic relief stimulus. Yeah. Payments, yeah, be looking out for those scams. Don't you know if people are asking you for money or your information, don't send it to them. Uh, it's more than likely a scam. I don't think anybody asks for social security numbers or usernames or passwords. So please, because those are other crimes that you also investigate, uh, right? Yeah, and we've been we really have talked about very small segment violent crimes we, you know we, there's all a lot of other crimes going on and fraud is just it's awful it, there's a lot of it and we get a lot of those crimes but they they're from out of state in some cases people calling you from out of the country and people you know don't give out your information don't ever buy a gift card for anyone and you know it's just it, we, it's the same pattern that gets used over and over to uh, – to. I've never had to buy or pay for anything with a money gram or a gift card, nor I think will I ever have to, right? And I don't, That's a red flag right I away. don't click on the links. Don't click on the links, click but, the links. you know, if they're saying, hey, pay us in money orders, money grams, um, with gift cards – red flag immediately it's a scam there's another good one too it's like if it's too good to be true it's probably not true right so you get somebody who's like hey you've won this much money i'm going to send you a check you cash it and then send me part of it back for some reason yeah don't do that don't do that don't do that that at all and the fear factor is big too you better contact us right now or we're shutting your electricity off or your amazon account has been compromised that's a big one right now so you know just uh, yeah, I got that. Phone be be call sensible. The other day. Well, yeah. and I know in the past, you know, we've had we've had people get hit for thousands of dollars, and, uh, and they're not seeing that money. They're not going to get that money back. There's a couple bad cases uh, over a hundred thousand dollars. You know, people, and it was uh, 
from out of the country and it, you know it was very specific they these people were targeted but uh you know that fear factor is what drives it mm -hmm. um they, they'll give you some story the other thing is hey one of your relatives is in jail in this state and you better send us some money or they're going to sit down there in jail for a while and they can't call you you know we get you know it's, it is a lot of it is fear-based and time sensitive where you have to do something right now right well and this is that time of the year tax preparation time so what do we always see you know we always see an influx of cases involving hey i'm you know so and so from the irs you're back due you owe this amount of money and if you don't we're gonna there's we're gonna warrant. there's a warrant for your arrest we're gonna come pick you up so you know that that is one that invariably always uh inc those increase and we start getting those types of reports as well so yeah i mean it's just an educational piece that you know people need to be aware of that do we have these tips on lpd's website we'll be pushing out on next door yeah, we're gonna push something great. out. Great, great. Well, Captain Clyde, this was a good conversation. It was an hour, hour long. We yeah. appreciate your time. Did you enjoy it? You, you definitely warmed up there. Yeah, a little bit. I, I, I could talk about this stuff and bore people to death all day with it because it's it's interesting to me. Because I I think you know we've done we've done things here at our department to work work smarter, not harder. We're, work smarter with you know sometimes less resources and then when you get more resources you know you should be able to do it a lot better so you know I, i'm I, thanks for having me on i really appreciate it i i do appreciate the job all the police do and i, I do think our involvement with the community is what sets up all our cases and i, I guess i can't emphasize that enough that you know that we work for the city of lafayette people well said Thank you for your time, and I'm sure we'll have you on again. And that is a wrap. This has been Inside the Squad, a podcast from the Lafayette Police Department in Lafayette, Indiana. Inside the Squad is a community outreach podcast and is hosted by Sergeant Ian O'Shields and Captain Brian Phillips of the Crime Prevention Unit within the department. Today's episode included Captain Joe Clyde, who discussed his lengthy career with LPD and the Detective Division. Remember, you can email us show ideas or questions at podcast at lafayette.in.gov. And join us on Instagram, Twitter, Nixle, and Nextdoor. Until next time, thanks for listening.